How are we feeling? Good. Uh, we have come to, for some of you college students, the end of the year, and we think back on this year, and it has uh, been a lot of unsuspecting twists and turns and uh, a lot of things that we probably didn't foresee, but uh, we come to the end and we know that we're grateful for a lot of things. Like, we look back and we're thankful. I I'm curious, like, what are you grateful for as you look back on the end of the year? What are you grateful for in the past year? And one thing in my life as I think about the end of the year and think about, man, what am I grateful for? What am I thankful for? I think about this community. I think about you. Like, honestly, you in this chair, you represent a community of faith of believers, a family is what the New Testament calls a church. And man, I am so grateful for this family, the Salt Church family in my life. Church is meant to be there to be a family in every season. And uh, specifically, I, I, this past year, me and my wife, we, we found ourselves in what seemed to be a pretty tough season. We had been trying to get pregnant for about three years, and we were struggling with this possibility of not having a child and what that meant, and we had to lean on community. We had to look to the body of believers for support and prayer, and like, man, you guys as a church rallied around me and my wife in what was a really hard season, and I even remember, if you've been going through your Bible reading plan in this little journal, I remember coming across Psalm 5 in the, in the beginning of this year, and Psalm 5 verse 4 says this, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I plead my case to you and watch expectantly. And I just want to read what I wrote from, from Psalm 5, 4. I said, Lord, the fact that you hear my voice is amazing, that not only that do we get to hear you, but you have allowed us to have direct access to your ear. So God, I pray for your provision from heaven, Lord. I pray that you would give us a child. Lord, hear my cries. Father, I will watch and wait expectantly. And we found out a couple weeks ago in this picture that we will be... expecting a child, and we just found out the gender. Do you guys want to know? Well, I'm wearing a pink shirt and blue shoes, so what do you think? Blue or pink? We, this fall, will be having a baby boy. Yeah, yeah, the boys. Another boy to the Salt Company crew, so, man, and, and we are so excited, and it's made me, you know, rethink life a little bit, uh, but everything you, you begin to look at, you look through this lens now, and as we come up uh, in Genesis 22, as we're walking through this series, it has made me read a story that is familiar, that I know a lot, through a completely different lens. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 22. And if you remember Genesis 21, the chapter just before 22, um, Paul taught us and we see that Abraham, who's been clinging to a promise of a long-awaited son, that God would bless him by giving him a son, we see in chapter 21 that God answers this prayer. 
that God fulfills his promise in Genesis 21. We see that Abraham and Sarah, though they are old, like 100 years old, they have a child. His name is Isaac. God has done this incredible thing. But then we see one chapter later, from Genesis 21 when Isaac is born, to Genesis chapter 22, and we see something shocking happen as we read the Bible. And Abraham is about to experience and go through something where he will never be the same. Something is going to test his faith in God like never before. And I believe it's going to reveal to us what Abraham's faith is really rooted in. His faith in God, Yahweh. What is it actually rooted in? And it leaves us asking the same question for us today. What is our faith really rooted in? And this is one of, I believe, one of the most shocking stories in all of Scripture. So let's go ahead and read Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. And we will see that it is beautiful and tragic with imagery and foreshadowing and themes of salvation threaded throughout. Let's read verse 1 says this, after these things, so after Isaac has been born and has grown up a little bit, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, Abraham's, what's up? I'm here. God says, take your son. He said, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, That will be an important detail for us. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. God tells Abraham to take your son, your only son, your only son whom you love, and go to a a mountain and sacrifice him to me. Like what? What? Like we just saw in 21, chapter 21, the chapter before, we saw God fulfill his promise to Abraham that that he would have a son and through this son, through his offspring would bless the whole world. He would become a father of nations. And now we learn from the first couple words that God is testing Abraham by asking him to sacrifice this son that he gave to him. God is asking for the son back. But do you ever wonder, like, why this test? Like, God could have tested Abraham in a lot of ways, right? Like, a multiple choice test probably would have sufficed. I got to sacrifice my own son? This is unimaginable. To sacrifice your only son, whom you love? Why would God make Abraham walk through this? It's interesting, the word to go, when when God looks in the scripture and says, Abraham, go. This phrase here is lech lecha. It's, it's, It's only in the Hebrew scriptures one other time. It's in Genesis chapter 12, where God says, at the beginning of Abraham's journey with him, go, go into a land that I will show you about. Do you remember in Genesis 12 when God first called Abraham? Do you remember a couple weeks ago when we studied that? What does, what does God call Abraham to leave in Genesis chapter 12? 
land, possessions, his family. God calls Abraham to leave everything, his entire identity in the past. And God calls Abraham to leave that and go to a country that I will tell you about. And if you do it, I will bless you. This is the same phrase that God uses here in Genesis 22, to go. But here God doesn't call Abraham to give up land or possessions or his family. He calls him to give up his only son, his future, the hope of becoming a great nation. God is calling Abraham to lose the very thing that makes him Abraham. He's calling Abraham to lose his identity. Do you know what Abraham's name means? Do you remember? Father of nations. Homeboy has one son. And now God is calling him to have none sons. God is calling him literally to lose the meaning of his name. God is calling Abraham to lose his very identity and to find his identity, not in his circumstance. God is calling him to give up his circumstance, his son that makes him Abraham and ultimately find his identity. God is calling him to lose his identity so that he can find it in God. This is not the cultural narrative that we live in right now. Finding your identity in God. Where do we go to find our identity in our culture right now in 2021? You look in yourself. You look in the mirror and say, who am I? Who do I want to be? What am I? Anything that we want to define ourselves as, we just, the culture tells us to look in ourselves and find our truth and then just express that truth to the world. And everyone in the world is supposed to just like clap and be like... So good you found your truth. Thank you for sharing. But this is not what the scriptures tell us. This is not what the Bible talks about. This is not what God calls us to do to find our identity. This story in scripture completely flips that narrative upside down. And God is calling Abraham, find who you are, not in yourself, but find who you are in me. God is reminding Abraham here by testing him to sacrifice his own son that what made him Abraham, who even gave him that name? God did. God is saying the thing that makes you Abraham, a father of nations, is not the fact that you have a son now. The thing that makes you Abraham, a father of nations, is that I called you Abraham, that I gave you your identity. Essentially what he's asking Abraham is, do you believe your calling is in your circumstance or because I said so. Abraham now has a choice. Okay, God is testing me. Abraham doesn't even know it's a test. He just knows it's a command. God says, go, sacrifice your only son. Abraham has a choice. He can obey or he can run. How will Abraham respond to the unimaginable command to sacrifice your own son. That's what we're gonna see right here in verse three. We see how Abraham responds. 
Look at it with me, verse 3. So Abraham got up early in the morning. You guys are the late service, so you don't know what that's like. He got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey. Shout out to the second service, by the way. I love y'all. Y'all great. He saddled his donkey and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for the burnt offering and set out to go to the place that God had told him about. So do we see Abraham resist the command and run? No, we see him get up and begin to go. Abraham is really going to go through with this, it looks like. Verse 4 says this, On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. This Mount Moriah, he saw it in the distance. Did you catch that? How many days did it take him? Three days. I don't like being in awkward conversations for more than like two minutes. Abraham has the most awkward three days of his life, walking with his son. And he knows that they're headed to what could be the end of his life. Three days and they arrive. Verse five, as they arrive, Abraham in verse five says this, said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there, Mount Moriah, to worship and we'll come back to you. Did you catch that? Who, who does Abraham say will come back after this? We, we will come back to you. Okay, so this is confusing. God told him to sacrifice his son on this mountain, but he just told these guys, hey, we're gonna go up, we're gonna worship, and then we, me and Isaac, will come back down the mountain. How is this possible? We see that there is something going on here. Abraham knows something. He believes something that we don't quite understand yet. Verse six, let's keep going. Verse six, tells him we're gonna come back, and then verse six, he says, he took the wood for the burnt offering, and he laid it on his son Isaac. And we see he is very much going through with it. Keep reading, in his hand, he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. He takes the wood that he is going to use for the offering that will bear his son, and he puts it on his son's back, and he grabs the knife in one hand and the torch of fire in the other, and the two of them begin to walk up this mountain. Can you imagine what is going on in Abraham's mind right now? How is this possible? Like if you were in his shoes right now, think about this. How would you be responding? I had to think about this. It's like, I've, I've got a son, he's on the way. How would I respond to this command? We start asking questions. What is going on in Abraham's mind? What is he wondering? Like, how is God going to keep his promise to make him out of a great nation if he has no sons? This is his only son. If he dies, there are none left. How will God bless the world through his offspring? This plan, like it doesn't 
make sense. How is God going to work out this? And he's walking up this mountain. I bet he is internally struggling. I bet he's silently just like trudging up this mountain. And through the silence, as he's walking up the mountain, hiking up this mountain, as his son is probably following behind, trying to keep up, we read this in verse 7. It says, then Isaac spoke to his father. The word there means like he spoke up out of the silence. And he said, my father. Isaac is saying, dad? Dad? Imagine as Abraham's gut probably drops And then a lump in his throat, he replies, here I am, my son, saying like, yes, I'm here. I'm right here. And Isaac asks him one of the most gut-wrenching questions. He says, dad, the fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Can you imagine? It's Abraham walking ahead of Isaac up this mountain. I imagine just like tears just begin to roll down Abraham's face. Like the question he wanted least. Where's the lamb? And the way this narrative is built is supposed to For us, our eyes are supposed to be drawn to this next verse in verse 8 and to see this as the climax of the story, the thing that hinges everything together. What will Abraham tell his son as his son asks, where is the lamb? Look at verse 8. Abraham answers him, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. What does Abraham tell his son? He says, you're right. There's no lamb. We don't have one. But God will provide the Hebrew word yireh, or like translate gyra, literally means to see. Abraham says, There is no lamb, but God will provide. God will see to it, yireh, God will see to it that there is a lamb. God will see that there is a lamb, my son, even if that sacrifice will be the son that God provided. It's tragic. It's beautiful, but it's filled with faith. And then I think personally, one of the most beautiful and tragic scenes in all of this story, with his future hanging on a thread, literally walking next to him, knowing that God is calling him to sacrifice his son. Look at this sentence right after this. Then the two of them walked on together. Knowing that he's about to sacrifice his son, he kept walking. He kept believing even in this, that somehow God would provide, that God would see to it. Abraham here is human. He's probably feeling a lot of emotions. Do you think he wanted to to sacrifice his own son 
No. Do you think he was afraid? Yeah. And those feelings would be good and right and true, but there is something else true about Abraham that we see in this story. Abraham had faith that somehow, some way, even in the sacrifice of his own son, that God would provide. And how do I know? Because it said he kept walking. The proof is in his walk. His faith is, by, is accompanied by actions. James tells us faith without works is dead, is useless. If, if Abraham does keep walking, or if Abraham doesn't keep walking, his faith is just talk. If he just turns around and leaves, he doesn't actually have true faith. But he kept walking another step and another step. And Abraham didn't know exactly how God was gonna provide in all of this, but he knew that God would. See, Abraham concluded in his mind that God would keep his promise to make him into a great nation, even if it meant he had to sacrifice his own son. And to us, these things seem impossible. How could these things coexist at the same time? The sacrifices of his own son and the fulfillment of promise. But Abraham was convinced. He concluded logically that God would do the impossible. Hebrews 11 tells us this, that Abraham concluded that somehow God would raise Isaac from the dead. That's what he believed in his mind. Because I'm gonna sacrifice my son, but somehow God is gonna raise him from the dead. And I love this, that Abraham believed in his gut that it was more likely, check this out, it was more likely for God to raise his son from the dead than it was for God to break his promise. Abraham concluded in his gut and, and rooted his confidence in what? His circumstance? No. He rooted his, his confidence in the character of God. Let me ask you this. Where do you root your confidence right now? Like, where does your confidence, where does your faith find itself? Is it rooted in your paycheck? fact that you have a family and a house? Is it your parents? Is it people's approval? Is it your like purpose in this world? This is where I find my confidence. Is it looking in yourself to just be strong? These are all false promises of hope. What happens when you face an immovable wall? an unimaginable circumstance? Are you rooted in the fact that like God loves you, that he's for you, has a plan for you, has a future for you, will protect you, will guide you, will strengthen you? It's one thing to just like objectively know all of these truths about God. We come together as a church and it's like, oh great, we like talk about God. But it's another thing to like know it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's one thing to like believe truth about God and it's another thing to believe that God is truth. So that when you are walking through that circumstance, that dark valley, 
this unimaginable thing that God is calling you, this storm in your life, and yet somehow you know you're rooted in the fact that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. Abraham tells Isaac when Isaac is afraid, I'm here, son, but God will provide the sacrifice because God is a provider, even in the darkest moments. And this moment gets darker. Look at this in verse nine. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and he arranged the wood and he bound his son Isaac and placed him on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out. The narrative wants us to like think we're going in slow motion. He reached out and he grabs the knife to slaughter his son. He is about to kill his son Isaac. Tears falling, hand trembling as he's picking up the knife, gritting his teeth, heart beating faster. And in the moment he's about to sacrifice his son back to God, we see verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham replies, here I am. Verse 12, the messenger of the Lord says, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. An angel of the Lord stopped him and right before he was about to slaughter his own son, tells him to stop. Abraham, you've passed the test. The angel of the Lord said, I now know, you've passed the test, I now know that you fear God. It's interesting. We've talked a lot about Abraham's faith, but here the angel says, here, this is the test. It wasn't necessarily your faith. It was your fear. Do you fear God? This is kind of confusing. It's because when we think of fear, we don't actually see it the way that they would have seen this word fear. When we think of fear, what do you think of? I think of those dumb haunted houses at carnivals, you know, with a bunch of like weird, scary things that like jump out at you. It's like, ah, I'm afraid of those things. But that's different. Like if I said, like the way we think about it, if I said, hey, come outside, there's something fearsome. You'd be like, shoot, I'll stay inside then. How about that? But the way they understood fear and even the word of what it means, it's, yes, there's this aspect of afraid, but it's this, also this aspect of awe, wonder. So it's more like if I said, man, there's something awesome outside, you'd probably be like, great, ice cream truck, can't wait. When they say fear, it's, it's a combination of yes, like, Afraid, but also this awe and wonder. You think of like Niagara Falls, this great, powerful thing that could crush you and kill you. But it's awesome. What do you want to do? I want to get closer. I want to pay money to get a poncho and go like in a boat, like really close to it. Because I want to see it. I want to see its awesomeness. We see that Abraham is filled with fear, awe and wonder 
who God is. See, Abraham lived in fear. He lived in awe and reverence of who God was. He had seen the one true God. He knows Yahweh, the one true creator God, and he has seen his power. And he lived in fear, in awe and wonder. And so he didn't run away from it because of his fear. He actually was drawn closer to it because of his fear. He wants to know more of Yahweh. So in the face of the unknown, he didn't run from God. He actually ran to him. See, something about Abraham's fear. He feared God more than he feared his future circumstance. So in the face of it, he, he drew closer to God in awe and wonder of God's character. This was the test. Where was Abraham's faith rooted in? Was it in what he sees, his circumstance, or was it in God? Did he fear a circumstance or did he fear God? And again, that's the question for us today. What is your fear rooted in? Do you fear your circumstance? Do you fear your future? Or do you fear God? Do you fear men and people's approval or do you fear God? I want to just encourage you, do not root your faith in what you see in front of you. Root your faith in the person who holds your future. Don't root yourself in what you see. Root yourself in who God is. And we see that when we root ourselves in who God is, we see him as provider. Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Yireh the God who provides. Look at how God provides for Abraham and also for us today. Look at this in verse 13. We're gonna see how God provides for Abraham here, but we're also gonna see how he provides for you right now. Verse 13. Abraham looked up after the angel told him to stop and he saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went, took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. So today it is said, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Abraham rooted his faith in what he knew about God. And we saw that like he believed, God provided. He stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son. And he said, and like, behold, look, there's a ram caught in the thicket. This is Yahweh Yireh, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides on Mount Moriah. This is actually the whole story of the Bible. The God who will provide a sacrifice for those in need on this mountain. And Abraham names this mountain, this place, the place where God will provide. And, and, and the, the writer says, and as it is said today, the Lord provided on this mountain. And what Abraham doesn't know is how much his words ring true. That God would provide on this mountain. What Abraham can't see yet is his son, Isaac, will go on to live and he will have a son named Jacob. And Jacob and his sons will go and live in Egypt where they would 
then be in captivity from the Egyptians for some 400 years, and they would be enslaved. But God would provide a means for their escape. This was symbolized in the sacrifice of a lamb. And they would paint the blood of the lamb on their door. And God's judgment and wrath would pass over that. God, through a sacrifice of a lamb, provided their escape. And these people would go out, led by Moses, wander in the land. Stick with me here, because this is how God provided for us today. Moses would go with these people, wandering in the desert for 40 years and then another 40 years. Wouldn't get there, would die before they get to the promised land. But the people of Israel would would arrive in the promised land and they would establish a nation there and they would found a city called Jerusalem. On this very mountain, the mountain of their forefathers, Abraham, on Mount Moriah is where Jerusalem currently sits. And it was on this mountain where David would be king and David would have a son and his name is Solomon and Solomon would build a temple where God's presence could dwell with sinful people. How? Through a sacrifice of a lamb. A lamb that would be sacrificed for the atonement of the sins of the people of Israel. So like Abraham said, God would provide on this mountain and God would provide not just for Abraham but the people of Israel. And what we see on this mountain, not only did God provide for Abraham and the people of Israel, but he provided for the needs of every person in the whole world on this mountain. Because 2,000 years later, God would send his only son, Jesus, to walk the streets of Jerusalem, to place the wood meant to bear the sacrifice on his own son's back. And his son too would begin to walk up a hill in faith that God would provide. And Jesus obediently would walk up to this hill, be nailed to a cross and lifted up for the whole world. But unlike our story with Abraham, God doesn't interrupt as Jesus is being sacrificed. And as Jesus cries out, my father, father, why have you forsaken me? Where are you, God? God remains silent. And he doesn't intervene as his son is killed. God's own son, whom he loved, killed on a cross. Why? Because he is Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Yireh, the God who provides in Jesus Christ, his own son whom he loved. God provided the very thing that you need most in life. Forgiveness of sins, life with God, God provided it for you. You could not earn it. So God himself had to provide it. And on this very mountain, on Mount Moriah, we see Jesus Christ lifted high, the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world, yours and mine. And we see Jesus, though dead, 
three days later, doesn't stay dead, but proves to be the ultimate and sufficient and final sacrifice by raising from the grave, defeating death, conquering the grave, proving to be the son of God, proving to be God incarnate, proving to be the ultimate sacrifice that you need. You no longer need a sacrifice because he's defeated the grave. So when you put your faith in him and you believe that Jesus died in your place, you have forgiveness of sins for eternity if you believe. What is your faith rooted in? Where is your faith rooted in? Is it your circumstance or is it in the character of God? And what do we see about the character of God? Jehovah, Jireh, he's the provider. He will provide everything you need because he provided for your greatest need. And so what do we do? Man, we behold the lamb We look to Jesus, who is our greatest provision, and we cherish it, and we're changed by it. And we begin to live from a place knowing that God has provided our greatest need, and that he always will. Let's pray.